is that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? Today, once again, I'm going through excuses that Christians use for not keeping the Ten Commandments. Now, right off the bat, you think, well, why would Christians do this? Uh, why would they come up with excuses not to keep the Ten Commandments? Now, again, I'm not putting all Christians in a box and saying they all do this. They don't all do this. Uh, there, are very, there are many sincere Christians who believe in the law of God. But there are a lot of so-called small letter C Christians out there who do not believe in keeping the Ten Commandments. They believe the law has been abolished, nailed to the cross. It's been done away with. So often what they will do is they will say, okay, because of this scripture right here in the Bible, this is the reason I believe I don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. And often what they are guilty of is proof texting. In other words, just taking a couple of scriptures. In fact, I've had a lot of people just list a bunch of scriptures trying to prove to me this is the reason we don't have to keep the law of God. And they'll boom, 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 boom. And, they, and they'll go through, as I'm going through, every one of these scriptures. I'm taking every one of these scriptures that, that, that have been thrown at me in defense of or trying to prove that, okay, I don't have to keep the law of God. And, you know, they'll, they'll hit me with about six of them. I'm going through each one and seeing what the Bible really says about this subject. But a lot of times what people will do, they're guilty of proof texting. Now let me give you an example of what that means. This is a favorite proof text scripture right here, Ephesians 2 and verse 8. I have seen this one quoted, I've read it in books, I've heard it out of the mouths of preachers, and they will nearly always do what I'm about to illustrate uh, for you right now. All right, it's a favorite verse that people have. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And what they will do, they will stop right there and not continue the rest of that verse. In other words, they'll pick their favorite verse that says, okay, this verse says, not of works, lest any man should boast. We don't want any works around here. We don't want anybody doing anything. God loves lazy people, you know, whatever. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Boast. But let's, let's continue on and see what the next scripture says in Ephesians 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Uh-oh. So God is doing something through us, right? Right. Created in Christ Jesus unto good work. So there is a specific type of work God expects us to be involved in. It's called good works. It's not good nothing. It's not good set on your butt and do nothing. No, it's good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. There is a certain way that we are to walk, which is involved in good works. So you see how that often preachers will take this scripture and they will stop at this verse, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
and the ignorant and the gullible will go away and say, well, yeah, I guess it might, it, it's a sin for me to try to even do anything. It's a sin for me to even try to obey God because that would be works. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I am not kidding you. I wish I were kidding you. I wish I was just making all this stuff up, but I'm telling you the truth here. They will take this scripture and they will not continue the rest of the verse that says we are created unto good works. We are his workmanship created unto good works. God is doing a work through us. All right. The verse that we're going to examine today is Ephesians 2 and verse 14. It says, for he is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Now, for a lot of Christians, small letter C, they will look at this verse and they, they will say, well, that nasty, what is this middle wall or partition? It is that nasty, rotten, meaningless, irrelevant Ten Commandments. Ephesians 2 and verse 15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself twain one new man, so making peace. Now again, the way... A lot of Christians can look at this is that Jesus abolished in his flesh the enmity, which means the hostility, the hatred. Jesus abolished the hostility and the hatred that Christians have toward the law of God. And the way he did that was by abolishing the law. Now, you don't even have to worry about obeying God. Yeah, okay. Now, before we get into this, before I begin to explain this, let, 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 let's consider some facts about the Bible. Hebrews 5 and verse 9. And being made perfect, talking about Jesus, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Okay, who did Jesus become the author of eternal salvation? Who's it for? Can't hear you. All them that obey him. Now, listen, you come out from under that rock you're hiding under. Tell me, I mean, let's, let's consider this. If the laws have been abolished, what's there to obey? What's there to obey? If the law has been abolished, there's nothing to obey. And yet this verse says, Jesus became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. Let's take, look, look at Revelation 22 and verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Who has a right to the tree of life? Can't, can't hear you. Who enters the gates? Okay. I tell you, the silence is deafening. I can't hear anything. Well, this verse tells us, blessed are they that do not just lip service, not spiritualize the commandments away, not say they've been abolished or nailed to the cross or fulfilled anything, but those that do his commandments, plural, with an S on the end, they're the ones that are going to have a right to enter into the gate. All right. Ephesians 2 and verse 15. Let's go back to it. Having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself twain one new man, so making peace. Just what are these law of commandments contained in ordinances? Well, what they are are Jewish laws. They are Jewish laws that often separated the Jews from Gentiles, the very people, the Gentiles, the very people that God was trying to reach. 
They were commandments contained in ordinances that separated the two. You know, this, this verse doesn't say, having abolished in the, in the flesh the enmity, the Ten Commandments, for to make it himself of twain one new man, so making peace. You know, a lot of times the way you've got to understand the Bible is look at what it doesn't say. Does it say that he's abolished the Ten Commandments? This doesn't say that. It doesn't say it at all. It doesn't even come close to saying that he has abolished the Ten Commandments. Now let's take a look at, we're going to find out what these ordinances were. Colossians 2 and verse 20. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? And okay, here we go. We're going to list them. Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. So we're not talking about the commandments and doctrines of the Bible or the Ten Commandments, are we? We're talking about the ordinances, the commandments, and doctrines of men, such as touch not, taste not, don't do this, don't do that, you can't separate Jew from Gentile, you can't, Gentiles can't go into the temple, all right, all this nonsense. This is what we're talking about, Jewish laws, okay? Now, if you want to know what the law of commandments contained in ordinances were, it was the oral law of the Jews that separated Jew from Gentile. It really was. You know, the, the Jews had erected something called the oral law, which was fence building around the Ten Commandments. And so they had, they had to, it wasn't enough just to have the Ten Commandments. They had to have it all defined what they could and could not do. And so they built this oral tradition referred to by Jesus as the tradition of the elders, they built this oral law. And Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 no. We're, we're, gonna, we're not, we're not, we're not going to have this. And he dismissed their traditions, their commandments, commandments of men. That's what he did away with. But he didn't do away with his own Ten Commandments, for pity's sakes. All right, what was this middle wall of partition? Ephesians 2 and verse 14. Let's read it again. For he is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall or partition between us. Now I want you to look at this picture of the temple and I want you to notice this red arrow that I have here pointing to this wall. This wall was known as a sorig and it was, it was a wall, a literal wall around the outskirts of the temple and it prohibited Gentiles or non-purified Jews from entering the temple courts. Now, what you got to understand is, is this. The Jews' religion was one of the most exclusive religions out there. The very, the very word Pharisee means separatist. Okay, depending, just think about that. Separate. We're not like those nasty, rotten Gentiles. We're not like, you know, and, and they became solely an exclusive religion. They failed to take the law of God to all nations. Now, it is true, to the Jew first was given to the oracles of God. And the original intent was that all nations of the earth would be blessed by their obedience to the law of God, but they failed to share the gospel. They shared to, to, to communicate this. They failed to evangelize, and the Jews' religion became an exclusive religion. So the middle wall or partition. What was, all, what was the problem with this? Well, the problem is this. 
Christ came together, together, Jews and Gentiles unto one nation. That was the problem with it. Now let's look at, take a look at some scriptures that talk about this. The gathering of one nation of all races of people, regardless of race, regardless of color of skin, regardless of who they are. John 11 and verse 49, we read here, And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And now notice this, notice this, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Jesus never wanted this exclusive religion of the Jews. Had it been left up to them, they would have, they would have kept God all to themselves, and they would have never shared his message, his law with anybody. All right. You know, Christ said that he would be one flock unto one, one shepherd, that, that there would be one flock under one shepherd. Christ said there would be one flock under one shepherd. John 10 and verse 16, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Paul talks about the Gentiles, our fellow heirs and partakers of the promise given to Israel. Let's notice this, Ephesians 3 and verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are our fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And then later, Paul says that there are no more divisions such as Jew and Gentile, that we are all one in Christ. Galatians 3 and verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. What we're talking about is the end of the separate, exclusive religion of the Jews. Now, many Christians are totally unaware of this, that there was a physical barrier, a middle wall around the outskirts of the temple that separated Gentiles and, and Jews in the days of Paul at the temple in Jerusalem. Known as the Soreg, this partition uh, separated Jew from Gentile, for Gentiles from entering the temple courts. Now, I want you to look at this sign. Archaeologists have discovered these located signs. Some of the signs were placed on the Soreg, which have been discovered. The inscription says, no outsider shall enter the protective enclosure around the sanctuary. And whosoever is caught will only have himself to blame for the, his ensuing death. Now think about this. I mean, you talk about an exclusive religion. The very thing that Christ was going to accomplish, the gathering of all people, all races into one nation, the Jews had prohibited this from happening. I mean, we're, all, we're actually talking about a literal wall around the temple that separated people, that kept people from coming to a relationship with God. I mean, you walked around in fear. You wanted to know God. You wanted to come into the temple. You wanted to worship God, but you could not. 
because of this middle wall of partition. Okay, Ephesians 2 and verse 14. For he is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall or partition between us. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Can you imagine, you know, I mean, it took a while. Believe me, it took a while for this to actually occur. But for people to finally realize that they can come into a relationship with God without being in fear of the Jews of the day, you know, no more separation, no more division, no more exclusivism between Jew and Gentile. This, this, this has nothing to do with God's law being abolished. I mean, how can a person, it's like we are hell-bent. Some Christians are hell-bent to find a scripture that, that somehow fits their pea-brained mind, their theology, and they've got to prove somehow, some way, that the law's been abolished, that the Ten Commandments have been abolished, and we don't have to keep them. This, these scriptures that I'm going through have nothing to do with God's law being abolished. Again, why would you, if you call yourself a Christian, why would you want to believe that? Why would you want to believe that God's law has been abolished, especially the Ten Commandments? Of all the laws you could pick, why the Ten Commandments? Why do you want to believe that? That's, I'm talking about your heart, where your heart is at. If you believe that, do you even know where your heart is at? Do you know how ugly and distasteful, do you realize what a slap in the face that kind of thinking is to the Creator God? These verses that people proof text and take out of context and try to say that we don't have to keep the law and we're not under the law, it has, actually has nothing to do with the, with the Ten Commandments, the law of God being abolished. Absolutely nothing. Let's take a look at Hebrews 8 and verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them into their hearts. I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. What is the difference between the Old and New Covenant? You know, it's an it's a issue of, of locality where the laws are going to be written. Originally, they were written on tables of stone. And the letter of the law would only go so far. It really would. And I'm sure the self-righteous Pharisees of Jesus' day probably went around and said, well, I've never killed anybody. And I've never committed adultery. And you know, Jesus lifts the law to the spiritual level. You know, he said, you've heard it said of old time, don't kill. But I say unto you, if you are angry with your brother, in your mind, in your heart, you're guilty of killing him. Jesus said, you know, you've heard the old time, don't, don't commit adultery. But I say in you, if you, lust, if you look upon a woman of lust, you're guilty of committing adultery. And you know, I, I, I know what, I, I've heard what guys say, you know, at least what they told me. A lot of guys have said, well, well, what man out there doesn't lust, doesn't undress a woman in his mind from time to time, you know? 
But you know what Jesus is saying is that all sin begins in the mind. Long before you go out and literally commit adultery, you've been thinking about it maybe a year in advance before it actually happens. What Jesus is saying is that all sin originates in the mind first. And then it's just a matter of time. As long as you keep obsessing on it, as long as you have that anger, that hatred, that lust, whatever you're thinking about, that sin in your head, it will come to action. Your body will, you know, this physical body will follow pursuit. It all depends on what's going on in the mind. So Jesus lifts the law to a spiritual level. And, you know, and if you think about it, people talk about, well, we're not, we keep the spirit of the law. We're not bound to the letter of the law. Well, which, which is more binding? You know, the letter of the law that says, don't commit adultery? Or Jesus who says, I want you to control the thoughts of your mind. To me, it seems the spirit of the law is more binding. Which is more binding? Don't kill? Okay, I've never killed anybody. But which is more binding? The letter of the law or the spirit that says, of the law, that says, if you're having thoughts of anger, you know, I don't get mad, I get even, you're guilty of killing. It seems to me the spirit of the law is even more binding than the letter. And so the new covenant is about where, it's about application, where these laws are going to be written. Originally they were written on stone, tablets of stone. The letter of the law would only go so far. Jesus not only wants us, God not only wants us to keep the letter of the law, but he wants us to keep the law in our minds the way you think. And so it's a matter of application. Where these laws are going to be written is what the new covenant is all about. God says, I will put my laws into their mind and I will write them in their hearts. It becomes a part of you, of who and what you are. And you cannot, as a Christian, go around saying, well, yeah, I, I keep the spirit of the law, but the, the letter has been abolished. What kind of nonsense is that? What kind of idiotic, crazed line of thinking is that? You know, we, we love our Jesus as long as we get to make up the rules as, as to how we will worship him. Yeah, that's so true. We love our Jesus as long as I get to decide how I will worship him. Yeah, I love him. No, that's not the way, way it works. God says, I'm going to write my laws into their hearts and to their minds. And of course, you're going to be obedient and do them. And when you fail, you've got the grace of God to forgive you. It's just that simple. But the law has not been abolished. The Ten Commandments have not been abolished. Why is God going to write his laws upon our hearts and our minds? Well, because it's the very nature and character of God. You know, the law is a, is a, is a, it's a definer of morality. You want to know what being morally upright is? Take a look at God's law. Take a God, look at God's law. And you want to ask yourself, are these laws... Am I just paying lip service to these laws? Or are they really written in my heart? Do you desire, there's the key word, do you desire these laws? And when I see this hostility, resentment that Christians have towards the law in saying they've been abolished and nailed to the cross, I realize they don't even have a desire for them. And that's where it all begins, you know, your desire. As God creates this new heart and puts his law into our minds, you're going to have a desire to keep them. You're going to want to keep them. 
And some buffoon running around saying they've been abolished is so, well, it upsets you. It upsets you, to say the least. It's so distasteful. It's so wrong for people, especially religious people, running around saying the law's been abolished, been nailed to the cross, I don't have to keep them. You know, here's the bottom line. Your theology, what you believe about God, what you believe about the law of God. You know, I can listen to a Christian and in a very few minutes, I can tell, I know what you believe about the law of God just by listening to you. You know, but what you, your theology, what you believe about the law of God reveals your character. It reveals your character. And if you believe there is no law, and you believe the law has been abolished, guess what? You don't have any character. That's where, you're at. That's where you stand. Void of the characteristics and the nature and the quality of God's law written upon our hearts and our minds. And yes, as a true Christian, you try with everything you got to obey the Ten Commandments. And when you fail, and we all do, there is grace. And you never make the mistake of uttering the words like, well, the law has been abolished. It's been done away. We're not under the law. It's been nailed to the cross. You don't say those words. Remember, your theology what you believe about the law of God reveals your character. Do you have character? Just a question. Do you have the character of God written in your heart and mind? I'm David Freeman, and that's what's really in your Bible. Was there something wrong with the Ten Commandments? Were they weak legislation in the first place? Or did they somehow become obsolete with the passage of time? If as some suppose, the time came for the Ten Commandments to be abolished, there must have been a reason for it. Order your free copy of Which of the Ten Commandments Did Jesus Repeal? Order by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia 24151. Also, check us out on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.com.